If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Thanks for joining us on this edition of the Glory UJ Podcast. I'm Tyler, and I'm here with my co-host, Curtis. You can follow us and share your thoughts on the show and all the topics we discuss on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. Uh, you can also email us those thoughts to GloryUJPodcast at gmail.com. We always welcome the interaction. I don't want to speak for Curtis. I don't want to speak for you, Kurt. But I know I say some dumb things from time to time. So feel free, guys, to challenge us or agree with us maybe on those rare moments where we actually say something salient. But uh, that's one of the things that makes college football so great. We, we all kind of see it in our own way. And uh, so much of it is open to interpretation and discussion. So let us know what you think, guys. What we say doesn't isn't necessarily right. We want to hear what you guys have to say as well. Uh, you can also find the show in a couple of different spots, depending on what's easiest for you. And those platforms include Dog Sports Radio of the V-Sport O Network, iTunes, SoundCloud, and really basically any other podcasting platform out there. Uh, if you get a chance, we encourage you to, uh, of course, subscribe to. But we also encourage you, if you get a chance, to review the show on any of those platforms, especially iTunes. Any review definitely helps us, guys. Uh, so if you like the show... Please let us know that in a review. But even if you don't like the show, that's cool too. Just let us know. The reviews, all those reviews kind of add up and help us out, help us grow the show. As for today's show, we're going to start off by discussing the news that former Notre Dame quarterback Malik Zaire has officially decided to transfer transfer to Florida as a graduate transfer. All you guys have heard that by now. That's not news to anyone out there. Uh, that news was first reported early last week. Is that right, Kurt? I think mean, it was early last week. Um, um, it, it's, well, there was there, there were st- stories that he was likely to go there if the SEC changed the rule, right? Um, but it wasn't a done deal. But as I said, that first report was kind of contingent upon the SEC voting to alter the graduate transfer rules at the SEC spring meetings in Destin last week. I think it was like Tuesday through Friday or something. Um, sure enough, by the end of the day Friday, the SEC presidents voted to alter the graduate transfer rules, which paved the way for Zaire to become a Gator. Um, and basically what they had to, to change was a rule that essentially stated if a team took a graduate transfer, but that transfer did not make enough progress towards actually receiving that graduate degree that he supposedly transferred to get, because that's obviously what it's all about, right? Obviously, getting that extra degree. Not about playing football at all. But... Regardless, if he didn't make enough progress towards that graduate degree, then that particular school who took said player would not be allowed to take another graduate transfer for at least three years. Uh, this all basically came about years ago after Jeremiah Masoli. You remember him? Uh, he transferred from Oregon to Ole Miss several years back as a graduate transfer and predictably made basically no progress towards his graduate degree at Ole Miss. Uh, and when that happened, a bunch of teams got all up in arms about it and started calling Ole Miss mercenaries and kind of just ran against that. So therefore, the SEC put this rule into place. Well, 
A few years back, Florida had two graduate transfers, uh, one of them offensive lineman Mason Halter, who, go figure, did not make sufficient progress towards attaining the graduate degree, and thus Florida was, by rule, supposed to be restricted from taking graduate transfers for three years through the 2018 season. Well, Florida, they wanted Malik Zaire because, I mean, if you guys have been paying attention, their quarterback room is a train wreck right now. Maybe train wreck's a little bit strong, but there's a lot of uncertainty there in terms of what they're going to do at the quarterback position. So they pushed to have this rule changed, essentially using the argument that it's senseless for the SEC to impose a rule on its teams that limits their ability to take graduate transfers, which is a rule that no other conference imposes on itself. And Florida got what they wanted. Uh, Malik Zaire will be suiting up for the Gators in 2017, and now apparently Florida is the favorite to win the Super Bowl. That's what I'm hearing. So, Kurt, let's just start the discussion here. That's, there's the background, and everybody knows all that. But I'm going to start with this question. Do you think that Florida is bringing Malik Zaire in to be the starter? Is that why they're bringing you him know, in? You know, I really don't know if they are because, I mean, they all they talk about Felipe Franks as the young guy. And at the same time, um, Del Rio, you don't know how healthy he'll be. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, he was exactly what McElwain wanted. Yeah, really let's, let's talk about Del Rio for a second because everyone's forgotten about him. He was the starter for most of the season last year, got hurt. I think he had surgery on both shoulders, but and he was out for the spring, but should be back for fall camp. People have forgotten about him. They're all – and this is, people are prone to do this. They get really hyped about the next guy, the young guy, the, the, highly, talented, the highly talented, heavily recruited guy, like, you know, like we did with Jacob Eason. And Felipe Frank was their version, uh, a lesser version, but their version of Jacob Eason. So now everyone's all high on him and his potential, his you know, six-foot-six size – and they're not even thinking about Luke Del Rio. Are you willing to write Del Rio off completely? Not at all. I mean, no. like I say, he's exactly what McElwain wants. I mean, he knows McElwain's system inside and out. Yeah, and he's and he's one of the and it's he's a coach's son. Blah blah. That whole deal. I will say that about him. I thought he was. I thought he was more than serviceable. He wasn't great, but he was better than your. I, I know people like to throw around the term game manager like that's something terrible, but he managed the game, and they were winning under him. And he wasn't spectacular. Uh, he had some rough moments. I think against Kentucky, he threw a couple of interceptions that were really bad. Uh, but he also did some good things for them. And, and he's an extension of the coach on the field. All those same cliches apply for any coaches. So, you know, his dad's uh, Jack Del Rio. I think he's coaching the Raiders right now. He's coached the Jaguars for years. So he's been around the game for a long time. He understands the game. Like you say, he's a good fit for Malcolm Wayne Sisman. He's a guy that they, they can trust. Now, is he the most talented guy? Is he as talented as Felipe Franks? Probably not physically. Definitely not physically. But he might He might have been one of the better options there. And then you got Franks as well, who's a guy they're really high on. I don't know what to think about Franks. Is, you know, outside of spring games, we haven't really seen much of him. In his first spring game, remember he, he was an early enrollee, not this past spring, the spring before. Remember that? Like five interceptions? Which, yeah, I mean, it, it was a, he was a train wreck. Yeah, it happens. And this spring, I mean, some people are all excited about him this spring and his performance. I didn't think he was all that great. He completed a couple balls down the field, but he still I mean, looked out of like sorts. spring last year with Del Rio. Yeah, I mean, he looked out of sorts. He doesn't look 100% confident. I mean, I know he's got upside there. I'm not going to say he doesn't. He does. But there's options there. So it's going to be – I'm very interested to see if Zaire is going to win this job. I, it's, I think there's a lot of similarities to – when we brought in Grayson Lambert, obviously Grayson Lambert's a totally different quarterback than Malik Zaire, but we brought in Lambert and, and told him he would have the opportunity to win the job, and he had to go out and battle two other guys and Jacob Park and Bryce Ramsey to win the job, and he did that. I think you're going to see a similar situation here, right? 
where he's going to, yeah, he's going to be given the opportunity, but I don't think anything's been promised. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't follow Florida's recruiting and and what they're telling their guys, but I would imagine it's a situation like that. Uh, So let's go to this next question. This is a question I really want to get into. This is where it kind of concerns us. Does Malik Zaire's transfer to Florida, for you, does that change the outlook for the SEC East in 2017? Honestly, That's the big no, question I think for the us. Biggest thing is, the, the thing is, people are forgetting that, you know, they think he's going to be the savior. He was given every chance last year to be the starter. I mean, Deshaun Kaiser was abysmal most of the time last year. He was, he was, oh, and, he, he was good. He was up and down. He was up and down. I'll say that. That's what I'm saying. I mean, there were games where he was abysmal, just at, at, terrible. And they would try to go with Zaire, and Zaire would do. He would he would sputter the offense worse. Yeah, uh, yeah. When he came in, there I mean, wasn't... Zaire started off as a freshman, you know, getting some hype and everything. But after he didn't show much passing wise, and that's why they went with Kaiser over him. I don't think he's ever shown a ton passing. I mean, he's he's never thrown more than forty passes in a year. He's his career completion percentage is under sixty percent at fifty nine percent. He's thrown for a total of eight hundred sixteen yards in his career. Uh, and, and here's my take on it, and I'm similar to you. I I think that Florida has a lot of pieces offensively, and I know that hasn't been the case in, recent, in the relative recent past, but I think they have a lot of pieces offensively. They've got four to five offensive linemen coming back. Uh, they got, of course, Antonio Callaway. Uh, you got Jordan Scarlett, who's a good back. I think DeAndre Goolsby is a threat at tight end. I don't think people are talking about him enough. I think he's a very good tight end. He can do some things out there. Um, but throughout the offseason, my contention – with Florida has been that they are a quarterback away from being a dangerous offense. They are a quarterback away. Getting that, if they get that position solved, they can be really dangerous offensively. Watch out. But here's the thing. I don't think Zaire is necessarily that guy, you know? Like, I, think, I don't either. Yeah, I mean, maybe he will be. But he, he, my thing is, in well, reality— see, that's the thing. I mean, they need, they need more of a passing threat, and he's not that. No, he's not. He, well, he hasn't shown to be that yet. And, and, re- and really, for me— the thing is, I don't think he's necessarily that guy for them to be that, that answer at quarterback because the sample size is too small. He might turn out to be that guy, but I don't think you can definitively say one way or the other. Ryan Kelly is honestly, for all that he, he gives, he's a lot better offensive mind than what the University of Florida has. Well, McIlwain has that reputation, but it hasn't, it hasn't manifested itself on the field at this point. That's for sure. McElwain, he has that reputation, but he's never, ever shown it. I mean, Alabama, it was his offenses were terrible. I mean, were nothing compared to what they have become under other people like Lane Kiffin and other people. True. I mean, all he did True. was round and pound. In fairness, he had guys like Greg McElroy quarterback, though. Yeah, but the, yeah well, I'm saying, I mean. But that, he, that's he, he, he also had the great running game. Managers. You have Julio Jones. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I got you. But for me, like, I, I just think the sample size is too small to, to definitively say one way or the other. I mean, like I said. Zaire has never once in his career thrown more than 40 passes in a season. Not 40 passes in a game, 40 passes in a season. Uh, if you look at, at his the sample size, he had a really efficient game. I think it was his first start. A really efficient game in the 2014 Music City Bowl against LSU. It was 12 of 15 passing, only for 96 yards though. So efficient, but not much you know production-wise. He had 96 yards rushing in that game. Uh, in 2015, he came into the season as a starter. You know, famously, Ever Golson ended up tra- transferring to Florida State, uh, really because of of Zaire. Um, kind of fell out of favor, Brian Kelly there. So Zaire comes in the 2015 season as the starter, the guy. And the first game is Texas to open the season at home. He was 19 of 22 in that game for 313 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. By far, his best performance as a passer 
in a Notre Dame uniform. But then he follows that Texas performance up the next week against Virginia in the game that he got hurt. Now, it was late in the game. He played most of the game against Virginia. But in that game, he was 7 of 18 passing. It's, it's like 39%. That's terrible. And then he gets hurt, and then Deshaun Kaiser comes in and throws a, a game-winning late pass, almost like a Hail Mary-type pass to win the game. And then he kind of takes over from there. And then he, and then Zaire comes back to that 16, like you mentioned. He loses the job in an open competition with Zaire. But if you look at his numbers career, like I said, he's thrown a total of 98 passes, 59% completion percentage, and 816 yards total passing. I, I don't know, man. Uh, like That's a small sample size. There's some good points on there, but there's also some stuff to say, oh, I don't know. So I just, I definitely, I don't know. Based on what I have seen from him in limited snaps, watching that 2014 Music City Bowl, watching that Texas game, Based on that and the fact that he got beat out in open competition to Deshaun Kaiser last offseason, right now, although I don't think you can definitively say one way or the other, I lean more towards him being okay and serviceable as opposed to being Florida's savior at the quarterback position. Yeah, see, I see him if he yeah, – see, that's even if he wins the job. I mean, like you said, people write in Del Rio law. Yeah. And that's if he wins the job. I don't see him being a savior. I don't. Like, even if he wins the job – I, what does that mean? I mean, okay, you beat out Luke Del Rio. Okay, you beat out Felipe Franks, who I don't think is ready. I think Franks might be the guy down the road. I don't think he's ready right now. I don't know that for sure, but I don't think he is at this point. I just, look, this quarterback position for Florida is a position where they have basically been throwing darts at the board since Tim, since Tim Tebow. And until Zaire gives me calls to think otherwise by his play on the field, I'm more inclined right now to think that Zaire is just another aimless dart. You know, I that's... Right now, that's how I'm looking at this. And I will say this, though. I'm not panicking that they are bringing him in. But I'll say I'd rather them not have him than have him. Does that make sense? Well, here's my one thing, though. If Zaire was that good, North Carolina wouldn't have taken the guy Brandon from Harris. LSU. Yeah, instead. Harris. Yeah, because that guy has a terrible history. But, yeah, they still took him over Zaire. I mean, yeah, and Zaire's choices, I mean, from reports – from the opening, he wanted to go to Carolina to start. Yeah, that that was a yeah that was a big conversation point when they first announced he was going to transfer, and then it got he said they broke it down to either Florida, Texas, or Harvard. Um, and text I never understood the Texas thing because Shane Bouchelle was I know he had his he had some struggles somewhat last year, but Shane Bouchelle was pretty damn good for a true freshman quarterback at Texas last year. And then they got a new coach coming in who wants a more mobile type quarterback in Tom Herman, like he had for Gregor Ward Jr. at, at Houston, but. Like I, I didn't, I never understood why he would even consider Texas. I mean, I thought Shane Buchel was probably going to be the guy for a couple of years there, and then so if it's not Texas, I, I, I honestly thought it was probably going to be Florida. Cause Harvard. I mean, I know yes, UK getting education from Harvard, sure, but I mean these guys don't want to play football. They don't play football at the highest level if you got the opportunity. So I wasn't surprised by Florida, but I'm kind of with you. I got like I, I guess what I would say is I, I I'm just I'm not panicking. I'm not freaking out. That they brought him in, but. I think they're better off having him than not having him, right? Is that fair to say? Like he at least oh, get, he, he at least gives fair. them a like. There's at least a, a chance. I don't think it's a great chance, but there's at least a chance that he could maybe possibly be the answer for them at quarterback. I don't think that's the case, but there there's a there's an outside chance there. And really, for me, any dual threat quarterback makes me at least uncomfortable because in any single game setting, they can make you pay with their legs and make life hell for a defense. We saw that with Treon Harris. We saw that front and center. He's not, Treon Harris was not a good quarterback. I mean, he was basically a receiver playing quarterback, but in those one-game settings, he sure found a way to give us trouble. So, I mean, 
I'd rather them not have gotten him, but they got him. But I'm not freaking out about it. In the end, I guess I would say also that I, I don't think this really drastically alters the equation in the ACC East. Right? I, I don't think it does. I think it, it gives them one more guy, an additional piece at quarterback, they add a little more competition to the to the to or a, a, an element of competition to their situation. But there's still a lot of uncertainty there. He's not a guy that you get as a graduate transfer and say, yep, there's our guy. Done deal. Problem solved. He's not that kind of guy. He hasn't shown that yet. Maybe he will end up being the guy. But like we said, I don't think you want to write off um, Del Rio completely. We've got to see what Frank's going to do with his upside. So it'll be interesting to watch that battle over the course of the summer and see what ends up transpiring there. But, uh, yeah, I don't think this really dramatically alters the, the equation for the East. Do you still like us as, as the favorite? Even with the Zaire news, yeah, because I think the biggest thing, even with uh, the, you know, with Treon, even though we didn't play great against him, the fact was the reason we didn't we didn't play great against him. I mean, he didn't do a ton to carry the team. Is their defense just absolutely shut us down and shut most teams yeah. down? It's totally different That's teams, and it's totally different coaching regimes on both sides. So I mean, it's apples and oranges there. I just I get kind of uh, scarred by those experiences, just sitting there remembering what happened and just suffering through that. It's just like, oh, okay, that happened, and it could happen, I guess. I, it kind of makes me somewhat nervous, although I don't think that Zaire is really anything to write home about. He has not shown oh, that yeah, yet. Yeah, it makes me nervous, but it makes me feel better that they don't have that shutdown defense that they've had that was made. Yeah, and, I, and that's what they've been relying on for the past couple years. So, I, And that's why I give us the edge over Florida still right now, even with the Zaire news. I don't think it's really changed the equation all that much. Because I think, and I know this, people are going to say I'm crazy, if you look at the past couple seasons, because their defense has been elite, ours has been good, but not elite. I think that changes here. I think our defense is going to be the one that's going to be an elite, while Florida's will be good, but not at the level it has been over the past couple years. They just lost way too much, and I think that's going to be the difference between the two teams. I think there's a lot of similarities offensively. I think we both have playmakers. Now, they might have a little more proven outside with Callaway. I receiver, although I think we have plenty of options out there. I like our running backs a lot more than Scarlett. I think Scarlett is a, is a solid back back there. Uh, I, I, I think there's... I mean, it's, I don't say it's a wash offensively, but I think the difference for us will be our defense is just going to be better than theirs. And Zaire, I don't really think, changes that equation all that much. All right, uh, let's go ahead and move on a little bit here. So the transfer, the Zaire transfer news was not the only bit of news that Georgia fans got over the weekend as the floodgates have seemingly opened as we more than doubled the size of our 2018 recruiting class with three commitments in the span of, what, two days basically? From Thursday night to Saturday afternoon, pretty much. Yeah, I guess that's true, yeah. more or less. Yeah, more or less. I mean, it was, it was Thursday night with Becton, right? I think it was, yeah. So we'll go with that. On Thursday night, Javon Becton, a hybrid defensive end outside linebacker from Virginia Beach, committed to the G, followed by offensive lineman Warren Erickson from North Gwinnett and cornerback Rashad Wild Goose Jr., whose dude, his name totally sounds like he belongs on one of those Key and Peele East-West College Bowl skits. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He totally belongs with a guy like Hingle McCringleberry and Osmataz Buckshake. That's totally where Rashad Wildgoose belongs. But regardless, cornerback uh, from Miami choosing to pull the trigger on Saturday. So, all right, Kurt, we got three new commitments. Are you ready to say that we started to turn the corner in this 2018 recruiting cycle? I think this. I think at the end of the month we'll, we'll be able to tell. It's basically after Zamira White makes this decision or is reported to make well, this decision. Well, there are a lot of things that – there's other, I mean, it looks, you know, maybe it's in your wife, but there's other people, you know, in the works that the month of June, I think, is going to be the one that, show, you know, really turn the tide. And I think what, when the month comes, you may, there may be some more other guys, too. I mean, 
you know, Master Teague will eventually announce, and there's some, some Master other guys. Master Teague is a baller. He is a flat-out baller. I know Zamir White is, is a boss, and he's he's the number one running back in this class. But, guys, don't sleep on Master Teague. I think we, we need two backs in this class. I think if we get Master Teague and Zamir White, we had an absolute home run. Sorry. Let me jump on your toes there. No, um, I mean, since that's what I'm saying, I, you know, I think I think we're getting a little bit of momentum. I mean, you know, they might look at the, the stars, especially, you know, Wild Goose. I think he's under – like, you know, you're, he's really underrated right now. You know, he just – Way underrated. Yeah. And I think it'll get better, but um, I think the offensive guard, I think it was a decent pickup. You know, um, he's kind of the same mold as like a Ben Jones. You know, I think he's going to be a little grind, a little bit grinder. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, look, I, I think like uh, people are excited, rightfully so. People are excited. Well, I, I don't know. I, from what I saw and people I talked to, the reactions were kind of mixed. Some people were excited that we just got some commitments because we've, well, we've had two for a while now. Uh, and just to get three in the span of two days was like, oh, my God, yes. But some people were like, oh, man, it's kind of like, who cares? You got a, you got a two-star. You got uh, a, a three- to four-star offensive guard, considering on depending on what site you're looking at. And you got a guy that no one really heard of, and Javon Beckton, whose name kind of came out of nowhere. So, yeah, we got some commitments, but how good are these guys? So that's kind of the reaction I, saw, I got. So a couple of different people had were looking at it in different ways. But for me, I'll say this. I think it's a step in the right direction. I'm not ready to throw aside all concerns and say it's smooth sailing from here on out for the 2018 class. I think you're right in saying we'll know more by the end of the summer. Because the, the summer traditionally is when you see a lot of movement taking place. Usually it's, okay, the spring games, people come, some of these players come to spring games, you have some commitments then, then it's pretty quiet on the commitment front until the summer. People go to camps, you start to see some guys pulling the trigger, and then after the, after the summer's, we get into fall camp. It's kind of quiet usually until December when you have some of the early enrollees making their decision. And then you go from there basically to signing day. So a couple of points where you start to see some movement. And we're entering that se- the summer season right now. So there's going to be some movement. I know Zamir, I think the targeted date is June 27th. I think it's like his mom's birthday. Um, so, I mean, and that's always up in the air. I mean, that could be revised. But that's when he's supposed to announce. And there's a couple other guys. You mentioned Master Teague. And who knows? Some of these guys haven't said anything publicly yet, but they might just come out one day and say, you know what? I'm ready to make a decision. So I think you're right. By the end of the summer, we'll know for sure. I don't think these three commits necessarily are indicative of us turning the corner, but it's at least good news, right? Like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's better than losing them at this point. Yeah, it's better than still sitting on two commitments. Uh, and, and I, but I do get where some people are coming from, saying they're not all that excited, like, oh, great, we got three commitments, only one's, one of them is a, is a four-star prospect, and none of them are currently inside the national top 300. I, I get that, but it's look from where we were sitting, any news right now on the 2018 recruiting front that, that gets us a commit is good news for now. I would like to start getting some highly rated guys, but that'll come in time, hopefully. All right, let's quickly, though, look at each of these. You mentioned a couple of those guys just for a second there, but let's look at each of these prospects individually real quick, starting with Javon Becton. Uh, Kurt, what do you see in his game? Um, I, I see it's just a raw ability, you know, the fact that he can do it, but he's just he needs to be coached up tremendously. Yeah, right now, Javon Becton, I mean, he, he looks the part. When you watch it, and I haven't seen this guy a lot. I mean, he's from Virginia. I, haven't, I've just, I hadn't I even heard of him until he committed on Thursday night. I was like, oh, let's check this guy out. But he looks the part when you look at his tape. And he's 6'3", 230, got a good body. He lacks elite explosive, explosiveness, though. He really does. Uh, he plays with a good motor, but he's not overly explosive as a pass rusher. He's a good, solid athlete. Uh, he plays the run right now much better than he rushes the passer at this point. Um, but saying that, I, I do think he has a really high upside. I'm just of the opinion, watching a couple of clips from him, 
again, just I, I've only been able to watch what's out there right now. It's not it's not a ton, small sample size. But based on that, I do think he has a high upside. He's just a good ways away from reaching that upside at this point. I think he, to me, he he kind of reminds me of a Davin Bellamy. Did you get that at all from watching him? Yeah, that's exactly who he reminds me. I mean, of. The, the body type, the size. Uh, the fact that he's a, he's a pretty good passer. I mean, he can rush the passer, but that's not his strength. He's much more adept at, at stopping the run right now. That's the kind of player I think long-term he'll end up being. But let me ask you this. Just a weird way to ask this, but we'll go with it. On a scale of 1 to 5, pre- what kind of let's predict what type of contributor you think Beckton's going to be for this team with a 5 being like an instant impact starter from day 1 and a 1 being someone who will kind of just wash out and be a, a guy that's going to transfer down the road because he never sees any playing time. So on a scale of 1 to 5 there, by the time his career is said and done, what kind of impact is Javon Beckton going to have? I think he's going to be a 2. Um, I think the thing is it's going to come down to, you know, what does he do? Does he come in there and work and try to be coached up and, um, you know, become someone like a Bellamy who becomes, you know, a contributor down the road? Or does he get, oh, you know, over-recruited because he doesn't come in and be coachable and yeah. stuff? Yeah. I mean, look at Bellamy. Bellamy wasn't a – I mean, he saw – he had some spot playing time, and he wasn't really a full-time starter until what, his red shirt – I say, well, junior. I guess, yeah. His junior year when uh, Jordan Jenkins got hurt. Or no, his sophomore year. Yeah, so redshirt sophomore, sophomore, right? Redshirt sophomore. So which is his third year on campus. He started to see yeah. some significant playing time. And, of course, he was a full-time star last year, most of the year before that. Um, so I, I could see something similar to that. Because right now, he's not he's not ready. And, and Bellamy wasn't ready either when he first came in. Uh, and there's some differences. They're not the exact same player, but I, I see a lot of similarities in their game. But Beckton, I think Beckton's probably more raw at this point than Bellamy was. A little bit more raw than Bellamy was coming in. Uh, so he has a. I mean, he's. I think he would, is a guy that can really benefit from a redshirt year. Although we don't have a ton of depth uh, coming back in the position next year with Bellamy and Lorenzo Carter both moving on. Uh, but I think he's probably a good candidate for a redshirt season. You know, he can grow uh, a little bigger, develop his skill set, develop his pass rushing repertoire. And and be a guy that can make an impact, you know, three four years down the road. Maybe by the time he's a he's a redshirt junior or something like that, he could he become a starter, something like that. I don't, I also think I, it's not completely out of the question that he grows into a five technique like Jonathan Ledbetter. He's right now he's about two thirty two thirty five as a junior in high school. I, I imagine by the time he enrolls, I could see this guy pushing two forty five two fifty. And you give him a redshirt season, depending on how his body grows and how he fills out, he could potentially be a guy that could play a five technique. I think he's more of that hybrid outside linebacker. That's more likely. But I could see some potential growing into that five tech, maybe, depending on how his body grows. All right, let's move on to Mr. Wild Goose. I will never get tired of saying that. That's truly an all-timer name. Uh, it really is. But, Kurt, does his talent live up to the name? When you look at Rashad Wild Goose, what kind of player do you see? Um, he does two things, which I think this staff really, really puts a lot of emphasis on, and that's tackle and space, and he's got ball skills. That's exactly what I have written down. I have the exact same evaluation of him. Absolutely. Do you think he's – I mean, he, right now, according to the 247 composite ring, they have him as a two-star. Is that accurate in your view? No, it's because I, he's changed positions, and he hasn't truly yeah. been uh, you know, evaluated. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's essentially what's going on here. I mean – I would really encourage everyone to look beyond the two-star rating. I know you see two-stars and like, what the hell is going on? Why are we taking two-star guys? We're the University of Georgia. This is not Appalachian State. This is not Little Sisters of the Poor. But oh, I, I shouldn't disrespect Appy State. I've been, I've been breaking out Appalachian State. It's a pretty good football team. I shouldn't use them as an example. Maybe uh, Eastern Michigan, something like that. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the two-star rating, that essentially means he has not been completely evaluated, like you mentioned. 
you mentioned he hasn't played DB very long. Um, from what I can gather, really hasn't he hadn't played DB much at, or corner at much at all before this past season. So when that is the case, when you, you typically a two star guy is a guy who just they haven't really seen and they just give him two stars and give him two stars, which is stupid. Just don't rate him if you haven't really seen him. It makes him look like trash when he's actually better than that. Um, I saw him up here at the Kirby Smart camp this past weekend. And he shows a really nice skill set. So I watched his tape, obviously, actually a couple of weeks back when I heard that we were making a move on him. He decommitted from Rutgers, and I thought there would be uh, that might have been clearing the way for us to pick him up. And uh, what I saw on tape and then saw in person kind of matched up. He shows a really nice skill set. He, I'd say he's six foot one ninety, right around there. But he's got good length. You know, six foot's not as tall as some corners that we've been going for, but he's got good length to go along with that. Um, he showed he showed me some nice instincts for the position, considering he hasn't really played it all that long, which speaks well of his long term ability to grow into that position even more so. I like what you said about his ball skills, man. He's got really good ball skills and really fluid hits, which are both very key. Also, like you mentioned, he's not just a solid tackler, but a willing tackler. He's not a Deion Sanders who doesn't want to tackle anyone. He goes in there and he's willing to bring the ball carry down. He does a pretty darn good job in space of taking those guys down. Which, when you're playing these spread offenses, that's huge because all these spread offenses are designed to get guys in space and one-on-one opportunities where you got to try to make a guy miss. Wild Goose, from what I've seen, is pretty adept at bringing guys down in space. Um, he's got really impressive short area quickness as well, which I like as a, for a DB because it allows him to break on and make plays on balls he otherwise would not be able to do. Um, but like Becton, even though I think he's better than a two-star player, he's definitely better than a two-star player. He still has a lot of polishing to do. There's a lot of polishing he's got to do. He's, he's got the raw skill set. That is there. But Kirby and Mel Tucker are definitely going to earn their paychecks developing him. The skills are there. They just got to develop him, and I, and I think they will. With their reputation and what I've seen from him, the skills that he brings to the table, I'm excited to see what he does moving forward. I don't know if he's going to be ready to contribute much on defense's first year. I think there's a lot of growth still to make there. But I can see him being a special teams type guy. But same question I, I had for Beckton. We'll do the, the uh, back to the 1-5 to five scale here. What type of contribution would you project Wild Goose to make down the road with the 5 being instant impact starter and 1 being a washout transfer type guy? I think he's got a shot at 3. Yeah, I would say three between a vastly between a three and a four, three and a half is what I'd give him there. I, I think he's a guy that really kind of like Beckton. By the time you know, give it, give him a couple years, he'll and he can develop into the position. I think he'd be a real contributor for us. Our coaches like him. This is a guy that they've targeted, they evaluated, and they, I mean, our coaches don't care about stars. They they trust their own evaluations. And uh, he's a guy that I think has a skill set to do some good things for us. So it'd be interesting to see what he can do moving forward. I mean, we, our safety position seems pretty set right now, of course, with with Gibbs. Although I think Gibbs might end up fitting into that star position. But then you got guys like, uh, of course, Richard LeCount, who looked huge, by the way, uh, at the Kirby Smart Camp this weekend. Dude, that guy has filled in just a space of a couple months since G-Day. That dude has really put on some really solid muscle mass, man. He's filled out a lot, and that's what he needed to do. So he's looking really good there. But him, of course, Trey Bishop. So safety position is taken up. I think I think that Wild Goose has the ability to compete with some of the guys we're bringing in this year, guys like Amir Speed, uh, Latavius Brini, and Eric Stokes. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It's another good piece to have adding to our depth there. And then finally, Warren Erickson from North Gwinnett, uh, offensive lineman. Is this a guy that you can see factoring into the offensive line equation down the road? Yeah, I do. Really? Even with guys that we brought in like – well, we haven't brought him in yet, but potentially bringing in guys like Jamari Salyer, Trey Hill, guys who brought in this past class with Tory Johnson, Justin Schaefer. Is he, I, to me, he looks like the type of guy that's going to be staying for a while. That's exactly – how, dude, you're like 
all of my notes here, man. Yeah, that's exactly what I have too. I think he's a guy really similar to Wild Goose and Beckton. He's a clear retro candidate to me. Clearly to me right now. I mean, maybe something crazy happens to me now and then. But I think he's a clear retro guy. And he's the kind of guy that I think down the road, uh, by the time that he's a, a redshirt junior, something like that, maybe he can work himself into a starting role, you know? With guys like maybe Notori Johnson, Justin Schaefer, or Hill or Sy, maybe they move on early. You know, they're, they they leave after three years, something like that. I think he could be a guy that has put in his time and grown, developed, and could kind of fill in one of those roles uh, later on in his career. At North Gwent, he plays tackle. But for me, he's pretty clearly going to be a guard at the next level. He's 6'4", about 290. He's a nasty mauler in the run game from what I've seen out of him. Uh, he does have some trouble with speed rushers on the edge. But really, that doesn't concern me all that much because, like I said, he's very likely to move inside the next level where that's not going to so much be an issue. But he's, he's, a good, he's a guy that, I mean, this is a good, solid piece to have that's going to give you depth, which is what we, we've been without that for so long. It's been one of the bugaboos holding us back for so long. It's just not having depth really across the board, especially the offensive line where you need that. He's a guy that's going to give us solid depth. And if somebody goes down, he's a guy that can jump in and fill in. Do you see him on the same level as a guy like Notori Johnson, Justin Schaefer? No, they're more athletic. Yeah, they, they have more, way more upside, in my opinion, than him. Than Erickson does, but that doesn't mean Erickson's a scrub. He's not a scrub. He's the highest rate of the three guys that we got over the past couple of days, uh, and he's a good player in his own right. I, I, but like you said, I don't think he's quite as athletic as Notori and Schaefer, and of course uh, Trey Hill and Jamari Sawyer, who's just an absolute beast. And we got to get those guys. You know, we've got Notori and Schaefer in the house, but we still got a ways to go with Hill and uh, Sawyer both. But He's not quite at their level, but he's not a screw-up. He's a guy that can come in and compete and push those guys, which is what you got to have. He brings more competition to the table, makes everybody better all around. That's what Kirby's all about. It's what everyone should be about when it comes to football because that's that's how you get better. you got to be pushed. So there you have it, guys. So a couple commits there. Good news. Maybe you know, maybe not let's throw a party kind of news, but still good news. Um, we appreciate you guys listening to us today. Check back with us later in the week. We will have the first edition of our scouting the enemy series. We're going to start every week from here on really leading up to the season. We're going to be scouting in depth guys. Uh, Every team that we'll be playing, we're going to go down the schedule, starting with the first game, obviously with Appalachian state. And uh, we're trying to make this as in depth, a scouting report as you will find in the preseason for each of these teams. I've been heavily, Breaking down uh, the Appalachian State tables, watching really all night last night, going going back a couple weeks really. Um, so got a lot of stuff to talk about with them. They're a good team that we need to respect, and we'll dig into all of that though. I think on Thursday show, so check back with us there. But we do always appreciate you listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks guys. As always, go dogs.